Come on. <laughs> I've been in the USA for five days. Team Guitar Stories. <laughs> Stories Podcast, your number one show for everything guitar. Hello, studs. This is the Guitar Stories Podcast. I'm Dan. I'm Andy. Hello. And we're back from Nam. Mm-hmm. I had Andy. a wonderful time. Uh, Daniel, what was your, um, I guess, experience like? At Nam, oh, I was so exhausted. Uh, really, like way, way too little sleep, uh, but so many great memories and uh, meeting so many people. Actually, for me, it was the probably the largest name in terms of how many visitors there were. I haven't checked numbers yet, but it was so busy, like from Thursday on until Saturday. I flew back on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, it was super packed, and uh, I've never experienced a name being that full from day one. Now, we flew back on the same plane, and we flew out, because you heard episode zero on the plane as we traveled out, but um, I was too tired to join Dan on the flight back. I just <laughs> completely KO'd. So I was in my chair with ample legroom, relaxing to the sweet sounds of the engine. Awesome. The but, ones that we that we filtered out from the first episode. Yeah, <laughs> hopefully. I haven't done that yet. Don't give away any spoilers. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Nam was Nam was great. Um, we had so many so many artists floating around. It was also quite a quite a first. Usually every year there are some, but uh, the density of, of high profile artists there was just breathtaking. Sure. Uh, yeah, we basically just bump into Paul Gilbert, Steve Morris, Andy Wood, Andy Timmons, all those guys. It was that's pretty amazing. Yeah, I was I was um, I was there on behalf of Tolman, and I was interviewing interviewing many people. Uh, some of which I knew, some of which I didn't know so well, and the extent of my uh, homework could have been higher, but I had great conversations with everybody that I met. Mm-hmm. And I found this year uh, a, a real trend in the artists themselves, not wanting to talk about products, not talking about their past, not even talking about their music, but mainly talking about um, looking to the future and a kind of spiritual um, look at, at music and their career, as if they'd reached a point in their life where they wanted to not so much reflect but sort of build their future beyond being a, a rock star that was interesting mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. interesting might be, might be like a more global tendency that uh, artists want to I don't know diversify a little bit more or even like become less of a product and, and, and just like a, a person in the media and more become like like a real personality is that is that thing or I think it was more like regaining their sense of self, like to be a a celebrity or a rock star or um, some kind of famous person. You kind of lose your identity, I guess, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it belongs then to the public. And I think they were sort of just sort of defining who they were again. I'm, I'm not my past. I'm not the records that I've made. I'm a real person, mm-hmm, and it's mm-hmm. kind of the the antithesis to um, to being famous is that you you know you're kind of owned by the public, and then they were kind of reinventing themselves but only from within and I found that really really super interesting cool which artists like were the ones that made you think of that the one that inspired you or kind of you um, know, the first one was, was Glenn Hughes All right. um, of Deep Purple fame um, uh-huh. so that was in the Orange booth the second was Orianthi also in the Orange booth 
uh, Monkey to an extent up uh, with you in the Ibanez booth. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but just generally people I spoke to, even fellow YouTubers and just members of the public were, were talking about um, music being uh, like a therapy, which was mm-hmm. really refreshing. Yeah, That's good to hear. Positive vibes are always great. And uh, also like speaking from a, let's say, industry standpoint, it was very, very uh, interesting and also very positive to see that there was always that kind of good spirit and, and you know the, the mi industry is doing great you know mm. everyone is talking about growth and, and good sales and i think this uh somewhat spills over also to the artists being like you know receiving more support from companies getting more opportunities to get out to you know spread their music and, and being visible it's it's kind of interesting so uh and i like it a lot I mean, positive vibes and a good spirit is always great to see, and uh, it helps. It helps because music is something so wonderful. Yeah. yeah, the the person I had the most vibes for, and I'm not sure if they are entirely positive, but was from Jesse Hughes from Eagles of Death Metal, who <laughs> I met and we we had an interview that I'm not sure will ever air. Um, <laughs> Why is that? Because of his, firstly, his language, his choice of topics, and his rather distasteful jokes. That I will not be repeating on this podcast. Omg! What? Yeah, he was um, <laughs> he was on form, as the orange guys called it. Uh, I went into the room and they said, "Have you got Jesse?" I said, "Yeah, yeah, he's coming in a moment." They said, "Good luck." All right. <laughs> so you didn't give like a proper a uh, proper briefing in advance. They kind of what? did, but that was it, and that's all I needed. <laughs> you just didn't give a fuck. Now, that's interesting. You're like you might be more successful if he doesn't turn up. That was the kind of the vibe. <laughs> but he was, what I will say is he was awesome. I just don't know if the public will ever get to hear what he said. Yeah, well, authentic, but maybe a little bit over the top. Yeah, I mean, maybe one day on some kind of bootleg Christmas surprise, or I don't know. <laughs> there you go. Um, <laughs> maybe if, if what was, uh, what somebody was, else does What was the it. most difficult interview for you? The most difficult? Mm-hmm. Um, that was tough, man. I mean... The way I interview is not really interview, it's just a chat like we're having now and it's, it's person to person rather than um, putting the, the interviewee on a pedestal and talking about their achievements. It's, it's often best, the less I know about the person, the better, which is, mm. which is useful because my brain can't contain all that information. I'm like, okay, what was the name of the last album? What was the name of the song? What we're not allowed to talk about just in case, you know? What should I mention? <laughs> and then of course that all goes out the window when I sit down with the person we just chat, but I think the person I was most nervous talking to was Monkey, mm-hmm. and it wasn't nervous in the fact that I was I was nervous, but the person that I felt I had no connection with because the only connection I had was, and I think I told you this at the show that I didn't like his band Corn when I was a teenager. <laughs> you told me, yeah. And um, <laughs> of course, he is not his band. He's not his music. He's not his signature guitar. He's a person. Mm-hmm. He just turns up and he's talking about um, exactly the same problems I had. He's like, I'm sorry I'm late, man. I was explaining to my wife and my kids that, and they're like, where are you going? And I'm like, I told you this. I'm going to the NAMM show. No, you didn't tell me. And that's pretty much the same experience I had before I left for NAMM. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, they're just, just a real person. But that was the most preparation I did and I thought, oh, God, I've got to nail this because I've got friends that are big fans of corn. Um, that, was, that was tough, you know. But then I guess guess jeez it's hard to say i think i was talking to mainly members of the public as well 
and there were some mm-hmm. interesting people to talk to uh, and some absolute crazy people and you know who you are <laughs> nam people that just go there just to have a really good time and um, and sometimes indulge in some of the alcoholic beverages and uh, you, you never know who you're going to meet or what you're going to meet or what state of mind they're going to be in and that was really fun mm-hmm. absolutely but what, what was your highlight Dan as a sort of an industry guy what was uh, your best moment or top three even well you're into hit lists uh, well highlight definitely the release of the new Pia mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. Uh, I knew in advance what was coming but uh, I think I I posted it somewhere already in social media and you were there as well at the press conference the moment when Steve Vai was there and he was picking up the guitar it just everything made sense you know it's mine there was it's no all doubt. mine that's what he said yeah correct yeah there was no doubt it was just like you know the monkey grip is gone now we've got the pedal grip yeah whatever it's just his guitar and that was just unreal and actually I saw a interview I think for Sweetwater where Jim Gallagher asked him um, why did you change the grip and he said because I can <laughs> yeah and it's so totally Steve Vai I mean he would never do something that would be boring or, or random it was just it always has to be artistic and, and it has a deeper meaning and this is what also you know puts me back a little bit to what you initially said about the artists reflecting on themselves and and you know giving themselves a higher meaning um, during the press conference Steve said uh, maybe after he's long gone, the guitar will still remain yeah. because it's so iconic. And I think with the new iteration of, of the gem, which is now called the Pia, you definitely reach that goal just to create a very artistic instrument that uh, influences others, inspires others to be played. And uh, this was really like a touching moment for me because like in 87, I was four years old. Uh, I wasn't at NAM, and that was a big reveal. And so, so like experiencing this in, in the very year that Steve Vai turned 60 years, is just something uh, pretty iconic. And uh, you know, the guitar reflects all of his idiosyncrasies. It really, like his <laughs> sometimes strange and quirky uh, kind of um, uh, how should I put it? Quirky kind of styles or, or things that he does. It's just, it's just something. It's just a perfect fit for me, and and like I said, when he when he picked it up and we talk when he talked about the guitar during the press conference, it all clicked and I was totally sold. So um, that was definitely one of the highlights, um, and I think all the, the all the feedback from the from the visitors at Nam show showed that there was a lot of uh, con- uh, controversy in the beginning about the guitar and about the leaked catalog pictures, but uh, as soon as you see it on the flesh, it's just breathtaking. And it's super cool that Steve basically went back to 87 to be inspired from the original colors and uh, took these as a as a platform to develop the new limited colored palette. And uh, yeah, I like them a lot. Which is your, your favorite, by the way, the Sandu gold one or the Panther pink one or the NB green one? That's a tough question, man. Um, I was having this conversation with someone at your booth and uh, before I saw them, you showed me some high-res photos and I really preferred the pink in from the photos but then up mm-hmm. close um it probably is the green or the yellow i don't know it's it's <laughs> it they're all equally as for me like um beautifully disgusting beautiful you know they're like they're so over the top and and glary yeah. and but somehow still beautiful i mean i i think i would go for the white one if it had 
um, the pickup covers that, that the others have. You know, they have these sort of patterned pickup covers with colors of the guitar. And the white oh, one... the white one actually has it. It has a, a white bass plate. I, I, there's something almost missing on the white one that the other ones have. All right. Okay. Well, it might be the uh, the multicolored inlay, the Pia Blossom inlay. I think it because is. Because it's just abalone on it. Yeah, I... I I don't know, but right now, let's say, I'll say green, but that may change green? next week or even in the next 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah, I'm also like, I'm, I'm undecided between the pink and the, and the green one. And I have to say that I was ex extremely positively surprised by the Sandu gold one because in the pictures, it didn't look too nice to, personally to me, but in like in, in the light, like the NAMM stage light, it was just amazing, mm. like a golden, golden boy guitar. That was, that was pretty cool. And also it was cool to see that Steve during the show on Saturday, which unfortunately you couldn't attend, um, he was switched back and forth between the guitars and he was really having a ball just trying those out and showing to everyone what they can do. Nice. And his sound was amazing, yeah, yeah. Actually, the press conference with Steve was probably my, my most actual nervous moment because I'm, I'm pretty much consistently and constantly out of my comfort zone, which is how I'm... I may seem relaxed, but I'm actually just sort of making every word up as it goes as I go. And um, I remember standing in this press con press conference with um, this sort of semicircle moon of cameras, and microphones, and people that look very professional, thinking, "What the hell am I doing here? How did I get? <laughs> what choices did I make that of putting me three and a half meters in front of Steve Vai and all these professionals with a camera guy who's trusting in me to do my job, and I don't know what to do." <laughs> and um, yeah, I couldn't even come up with a question until, like, because what do you ask Steve Vai? It, it's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. it, over the years, he must have covered everything. And so in, in my spirit of the way I talk to people, I wanted to ask him a, a family question that was guitar related. And I, I never got the opportunity, sadly. However, mm -hmm. on Saturday night, I asked him the question. <laughs> yeah. So, so what was your original question? Oh, well, the guitar is named the Pia which is uh, passion in art, but also the name of his wife. And I wanted to know what his wife's reaction was when she first discovered that the guitar was named after her. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure with Steve's personality, we would have got um, a whole, uh, maybe a half an hour story of, of love and, and music and how that can intertwine and affect each other. <laughs> so you asked him the question, is that right? Well, I asked her the question. Oh, actually, wow. yeah. oh cool. And, she, and she, was, she was rather brief in, in answering that, but it was still interesting because uh, after the show, Steve and Pia and, and Dave Wiener and, and the Bolivia guys, they showed up like uh, right in front of the backstage area. And uh, so we get to talk and uh, I asked Pia, so how, how is it? You know, how did you react when Steve told you that uh, he was going to rename the jam after, after, her, uh, after his wife? And she was like, well, until four weeks before release, I didn't even know that uh, it was going to be called the Pia. <laughs> so it was quite a surprise for her. Um, and I said, so yeah, so, so how, what was your initial reaction? She was like, well, I was so overwhelmed because it had that kind of European romantic uh, vibe to it. And uh, I mean, with Steve being, being that kind of guy that really appreciates the f 40 years of, of being married to Pia, it's, it's kind of a bold move to rename the guitar after her, despite, you know, it's his wife, but still, you know, the jam and the jam name was so iconic. But uh, yeah, you could tell that she was over the moon with it, you know. Sure. And uh, yeah, they both, they both, you could tell that you, you probably saw Steve and Pia at the booth, which was pretty amazing. 
when he was standing right in the middle, you know, at the center of the Ibanez booth had all the Ibanez peers on the wall. And then Steve was standing there and then peers stood next to him. So you had like the peers, then you had the peer <laughs> and then you had Steve. <laughs> that was just so amazing to see. And uh, they are such a lovely couple. They held hands and oh, it was it was amazing. And that, that basically it was also reflected that night. They were after the show. Steve was super happy. He was just drinking water and chatting with, with the few guys that were still there. And, and Pia was there and, and, and she was talking with these guys. And you know, they were both just I think it was one of those magical nights for them as well. Not just for, for us in the audience because the show was so great, but also for them because it was the show where the Pia got premiered yeah. and uh, which is pretty memorable yeah, yeah. possibly to but go I down like, in history I, yeah de definitely yeah but i like what she said about <laughs> the european romantic idea mm. <laughs> it's, uh, he seems like a very period. romantic guy like a very um yeah. loving person even though i can't say that i know him or even met him for very long but you could tell from his personality that there's a lot of a lot of love coming from that man yeah absolutely and always, I mean, we, we always um, have worked with with, uh, with Steve a lot um, when we had Ibanez events, and he's always a lovely guy. You know, cool. it's it's probably the, the the biggest names that are the the most down to earth persons. Um, uh, he was really. so good at his press conference. What a, what a what a professional. What a, a warm feeling. And I'm sure that the at least some of the footage and audio will go out uh, on the Toman one of the Toman channels, and you'll see it all mm -hmm. all around the internet on other channels as well. But I just the way he he held himself and talked, and there was a great mixture of business and personal stories, and I, I learned a lot just from stood there watching him. And I'm I'm looking forward to putting that into practice soon. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Re a real pro, Absolutely. real pro. Absolutely. And the concert itself, I can't can't just repeat it. It was it was amazing. He was he was having a blast on stage. He played all the hits, and his tone was amazing. That was, by the way, that was interesting because I, at, later after the concert, um, I asked him how he felt with all the new gear because he had his new Synergy amps mm. and he had the new guitar. So it was basically his the main ingredients, except from his fingertips and his brain, were new. And uh, so he said he was pretty unsure how it sounded to us. You know, on stage he felt he was he was doing pretty great, but uh, he wasn't sure how it all came out because it was such a departure, such a massive departure from his old rig with the Carbon Legacy M and the old Jam. Uh, it's interesting to see that even like a, such an experienced guy like him is not really sure about, uh, you know, what's basically, what, what, what gets through, what is conveyed to the audience. And, and he was really worried about if, if everything was all right and, you know, if his tone was as good as during previous shows. So, um, it was it was cool that we could confirm that it was one of the best shows we've ever seen, and uh, right. he seemed pretty happy with with all the reactions because we're not the the only guys just telling him that, uh, that the show was amazing and mind blowing. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Well, um, let, let's move on from music and guitars. Let's find out uh, what else was a highlight of Nam. Uh, for me, it was I discovered Uber Eats, which <laughs> which we don't have where I'm from, where I live in this tiny place in Austria, but it's like Uber. But instead of delivering people, they deliver food. And um, we had a great time back at the Tolman House, uploading our files to Germany and deciding what food we'd order. That was, that was truly cool. And um, <laughs> I don't know, may, maybe people listening to this are thinking I'm some sheltered country boy, and they'd be right. So, <laughs> yeah, it was amazing fun just pressing buttons and then food coming to your door. Yeah. <laughs> what did you get, by the way? Oh, we went truly international. First, we went, um, we got, we went British and ordered some Indian food, 
and then we went Korean, and then I think we had uh, Chinese, and on the last night we okay. had pizza. Awesome. Uh, yeah, it was, it was truly wonderful. Great food. Um, amazing. That's uh, Andy's restaurant review completed. Lucky <laughs> <laughs> oh, you. Yeah, what else? So was there anything um, apart from the delivery service that caught your attention? Um, I guess I was a little disappointed with the weather, to be British again. That was a bit of a shame. Um, it was much colder than in previous oh, yeah. years, wasn't it? Yeah. We've really got to yeah. improve our global warming because it's getting colder. <laughs> Ouch. This, this, this episode might probably get a thumbs up by uh, Donald yeah, Trump. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Although I did get back to Austria and find that it was it was also warmer, so I don't know what's going on, but um, maybe <laughs> step away from that. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> well, to be fair, Nam, this year was pretty early. Usually, I think it was one week later. Ah, true, yes. So that might, that, that might account for some of the temperature discrepancies. One one week can make a big change. Mm. Yeah. So, but we have like we had rain, a lot of rain, like two or three years ago at Nam, where it was warm but super rainy and moist, and that was also not nice either. No. So, but the Nam show was great this year for me. It was. Uh, I didn't spend so much time with gear. I spent it more with people. And I, I truly mm -hmm. had a, a wonderful, wonderful time that I shall never forget. And for anyone that hasn't ever been to the NAMM show and are thinking of going, then you really, really should. It's, it's, a, it's an amazing experience. It's Absolutely. even better if you get paid to be there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is true. Is there, is there, by the way, is there any artist or any personality from the MI or music industry that you didn't have the chance of how to talk with, but you desperately want to? Like a bucket list of people? There was. Um, I was kind of set up with Bobby McFerrin, um, who mm -hmm. sang Don't Worry, Be Happy, if you're listening and don't know who Bobby McFerrin is. And I didn't quite get to meet him. His schedule was so full. Um, that was a shame. Uh, I didn't quite get enough time with... Um, who was it? Uh, I can't remember. So it, it's the day after I've flown back, so I'm really, really quite exhausted. Um... I guess there were artists, no, because I was pretty satisfied with who I got to meet. Um, but I didn't get to hang out with sort of YouTuber friends, fellow YouTubers, um, which would have been nice. But I did manage to run around the whole show and see as many people as possible. Mm -hmm. uh, Jen Majura, I didn't get a chance to really talk. We just, she, just, she said, um, come and check me out. I'm on the Fishman show. I was like, okay. And then we never did. So that was a shame. But generally speaking, I can't really fault it. It was great. I would have liked more more time with Steve Vai, but you know, you, you get what you're given. It's Steve Vai. <laughs> uh, Absolutely. No, I I can't really fault anything we did. Um, I'm sure something or someone will come to mind at some point. But right now, I can't even really remember being at Nam. That's how awesome and overwhelming it was. Cool. I was able to at least uh, check one point on my bucket list because uh, you know I'm a big fan of Andy Wood. He's not too too known within like Europe, mm -hmm. but he's such a great mm -hmm. player. He's a sewer signature artist and a hell of a dude. And guys like Tom Quayle or Martin Miller, they all, you know they played with him, and uh, he's he's such an incredible guitar player. I never got the chance to actually chat with him or even see him play live. So uh, this time I got the opportunity twice because he played at the Elements of Sound on Wednesday. 
And uh, then later uh, I checked out the Wampler booth and he was there and uh, he was such a cool guy. I really, really enjoyed talking to him. And, and, and he even played one of my favorite songs, Reach. If you, if you haven't heard Andy Wood's song, Reach, go on YouTube, check it out. It's amazing. And he's an incredible player. Yeah. And by the way, they do that interesting, uh, that interesting thing to the, to the guitar where they take the body um, and they uh, put flames on, on the top of it, like with a flamethrower kind of thing. And then it gets burned slightly and then they, and then they uh, put the finish on it. So it gets that kind of deep red kind of finish. So uh, that's pretty unique. Have you ever, have you ever seen his uh, Andy Wood signature guitar from Sony? Not, yeah? not in the flesh, but I've seen pictures and it, it does look that's, pretty special. Yeah, that's a pretty cool instrument. Yeah, yeah, and his tone is so amazing. I mean, he's he's got that. He he does a lot of those swells, you know, where you we we either with the volume pot or with the pedal, just swells in that tone. And then he's an incredible picker. I mean, he's even a better mandolin player than a guitarist, which is uh, almost impossible to believe, but uh, he is. And uh, yeah, so on Wednesday he was playing a show with his band. It was amazing, and then. Seeing him, experiencing him on the booth, like a couple meters uh, in front of him, is just incredible. So I was, I was very lucky. And he was there. He was a great chap. He played, actually he played a couple uh, Andy Timmons licks, nice. <laughs> and then stopped because he said, "I'll probably get some uh, copyright infringements from my buddy AT." <laughs> I got to hang out with Andy and again um, after last year yeah. meeting him for the first time. Sadly, we had some audio issues, so that interview that was at the oh, Laney no. booth won't be going online. Um, we had a radio mic, and it was working fine for the entire show, and the tech team told me 98% of it was absolutely perfect, but that little 2% happened to be Andy Timmons. And I, yeah, so I'm pretty gutted about that, but um, that just means Damn. that I get our conversation just to be mine and his. <laughs> <laughs> which is also nice it's just your moment with him yeah right? he's such a lovely guy <laughs> such a lovely human being yeah. absolutely that was a pity he couldn't join the party on Saturday but they already had uh, committed to the X-Jam mm. also Jam Madura and our German artist Jan Seerfeld they also played on, on Saturday not at the Y show but at the mm. X-Jam so Ivan's family was a little bit uh, divided on that night but anyways um, talking about gear uh, actually in the last episode, I said that I definitely wanted to check out the PG-14 yes. from JHS pedals, the Paul Did Gilbert you? pedal. What what a cool pedal is that? I mean, that's pretty unique. Um, there's a, a video that JHS put out uh, that I watched, and I couldn't really get it. You know, I, I couldn't really understand what the pedal was all about. But it's so interesting because it's basically a distortion, overdrive, and fuzz pedal. Like all in once. And you can, you can you know, dial and, and, and twist the knobs and... and uh, dial in different tones to either get a kind of clean push or to have like a regular overdrive sound. But then there's that cool feature where you can, uh, I don't know what the mode was called, but um, push or something. You you dial it all the way up and then it gets that, that crazy fuzz tone, which is not like a heavy fuzz. It's more like a subtle fuzz, but it has a lot of zag. So if you, if you play, it almost, it's almost as if the signal gets sucked in and then squished out that's that's oh, it's a pretty cool pedal and uh, you could totally tell that it's his i mean if you plug in that pedal you don't sound like paul gilbert but you get an idea of what what paul gilbert sounds like and i really like that and apart from that i mean it looks pretty cool uh it's called the pg14 because he wears uh, shoes size 14 <laughs> same as me <laughs> there you go so 
uh, that was interesting. It was it was cool to see that Jerry is, is still putting out great pedals after the Ed pedal, the uh, Tim and Signature pedal, which is also a great pedal. Um, those boxes they are really great, especially if you're like traveling light and you only have like a clean amp or an amp that has like just one or maybe two channels. They give you a lot of uh, variability and uh, a lot of tonal options. So I was very, very, very positively surprised by that. Also, PRS, the PRS booth was was great. Uh, it was twice the size compared to the, the previous year. They had a lot of stuff going on with Brian Ewald and, and Tyler Larson doing clinics, and uh, it was pretty cool. And actually, their PRS SE line, they had hollow bodies there. These were pretty great too. So very good build quality. I think they introduced a couple of new John Mayer models with maple necks and uh, what new else? Finish. They had yeah, like a yeah, yeah, new finish. They had a like, Nebula Sky yeah. finish, which is kind of flip floppy finish, which is and this is interesting, which is not poly finish. It's uh, it was yeah. nitro. That's that's cool. I wonder how that looks like after this guitar has been played for five or ten years. It's probably gorgeous. So. <laughs> Although a relic PRS seems yeah. seems weird. Yeah, this uh, Paul never liked that. <laughs> he said, "If we can build something that is just unique and will look the same way throughout the next 100 years, why would you have a guitar that is just, you know, torn down and and, and looks as if you dragged it behind a truck?" <laughs> I don't know, man. I'm I'm not against or for relic finishes. It's all dependent on the, the actual model. So, um, yeah. but the PRS somehow looks like it should forever be pristine condition. Yeah. Now maybe Silver Sky is a little bit of a deviation from True. it because it's got that straight yeah. vibe to it. Well, we'll see. Um, well, let's, let's we'll wait see. for episode 530 or whatever it will be. And we'll, we'll talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure my maths are way off there, but uh, please don't call me on that one. However, if I did get it right, yeah. then well done me. <laughs> I'm, I'm just making a note right now <laughs> to not forget about that. <laughs> well, to, uh, to our three yeah. subscribers in uh, 10 years... Thanks for staying with us. <laughs> Actually, I had a 10-minute break from being Mr. Toman whilst I was at NAMM, whilst the camera guy went off to fix some technical issue. And I went downstairs into the basement, which is where mm -hmm. all the very, very small companies have booths, and also a lot from, from the Asian countries where they bring in, and they have these amazing disco lights that are also speakers, but are also USB disc players and some kind of weird stuff. But I managed to yeah. spend 10 minutes with Brian Nutter of Nutter Guitars. And I follow him on Instagram. And he creates these wonderful models that are kind of space-agey, but like a sort of really angular Strat or Jazzmaster. It's like, and they're beautiful. Mm -hmm. And I finally got to play one. And um, they're great. So light. So like the neck is really round, but not too thick. Uh, really aggressive, had a kill switch on it. It was black and red, and I've been lusting after this guitar on Instagram for quite a while. And I've seen so many other players play it, um, including Andrew from Presidents of the United States of America, and a few other famous players that I can't recall right now. But I finally got to play <laughs> it, and it is absolutely superb. So if you haven't uh, heard of or seen Nutter guitars yet, then you can check them out on Instagram, and you'll be probably pleasantly surprised with the familiarity yet the sort of uniqueness to his designs they're really really good mm. that was awesome. my 10 minute break on one day <laughs> and quite genuinely Dan I, I, that's as much as I can remember of being in them I might actually have more memories next yeah. week um, the flight back was a was a killer 
and uh, we got back to Germany and obviously had debrief meetings and, and how we can improve for next year. And my 2020 now was, I can't say superior to 2019, but it was certainly easier and less stressful. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I'm I, I'm sad to not be there still. I was truly sad. I had you know I had a house with three colleagues, three friends to to put it properly, and almost no house responsibilities. Which, as a guy with um, two kids, I was like, this is brilliant. Quiet <laughs> is quiet, and it was, the kitchen was a mess, and yeah. we just had guitars. Thank um, from Ibanez, that was a very kind of you. In fact, we had three guitars. We had. Um, two acoustic western steel strings and an acoustic bass and we only ever really played the bass all four of us it was really <laughs> odd it just happened to be there and all four of us would just pick up this acoustic bass and the other ones just sort of sat there looking at us looking nice <laughs> probably Julia I don't know it's just this desire to be half as good as Julia which is obviously a, <laughs> an impossible task yeah. If you haven't checked out Julia Hofer, uh, do it right now. She's a great, great bass player from Austria. Lovely person, and uh, she's got a groove she going. She truly does. Oh yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah, well, well. Have we got a Have we got an interview coming up, Dan? Absolutely. So last week we already teased that uh, we had Paul Gilbert up our sleeves, and uh, for episode one, I think what better episode or what better person would be there to start off the interview game than Paul Gilbert. It's a 25 minute episode of pure guitar nerdism, uh, geeking out about his signature guitars, about his history of Ibanez, about his, the modifications that he does to his guitars. So, uh, super interesting. I was uh, fortunate enough to have him in the morning after he was at the Martin Miller sessions and to just geek out a little bit with him. And he was totally in his own. And uh, yeah, well, I hope that uh, you guys enjoyed the interview. I hope that you guys enjoyed some of the insights from them. Uh, if you like this whole podcast, leave us a comment. Uh, please share, talk with your friends and recommend them the podcast. Or ideally, give us a good rating on iTunes. And apart from that, well, hopefully see you next week. Bye-bye. We're here with uh, Paul Gilbert, guitar legend, Ibanez artist, and uh, probably known to all of you guitar geeks out there. And I'm very happy to have him on the show. Hello, Paul. Hello. Good morning. So, um, Paul has a lengthy career as a guitar player, but of course, I'm I'm actually interested in how it all started. So, Paul, what was the first guitar that you that you had, and how did you get into guitar playing? The very first guitar I had was a toy. It was um, it, it looked like an electric guitar, but it was the whole thing was made out of metal, and uh, it had F holes or there was or painted ones and uh, it came with an amp that was battery powered and the cable was the most interesting thing because the cable was just a piece of string with a big suction cup on the end and you would you, know, you would lick the suction cup and stick it on the guitar and it it didn't it, I think it just looked like it was plugged in but it, it, it but I always thought because the amp had a battery that somehow it should make some sound, but it, it never did. <laughs> but I you know, would pretend to play guitar and, in front of the mirror for probably, you know, for years, I would, I would, I would just pretend. And I think that actually was useful because you're, you're listening to music, you're visualizing and getting used to holding the instrument, although I never had a strap for it. But anyway, that was, that was a toy. The first guitar that actually made a sound was uh, a Stella 
acoustic. And the, uh, the Stella company, I think they were, you know, a popular company for like cheap beginner guitars. And it was just a present from a friend, you know, the, to, the, to my family. You know, the, so we just had a guitar sitting around. And the thing that, uh, that was, I didn't realize until much later was that it was a, like a three-quarter scale, shorter, shorter, shorter neck. So that was nice because I was, it was, you know, six years old. And uh, I, I tried, I took some lessons, but I gave up because the teacher was trying to show me Mary Had a Little Lamb, and it, that wasn't, wasn't an interesting song to me. I wanted to play rock. And so, uh, you know, I ended up starting to play later, and I didn't know how to tune. And, you know, there's no internet back then, so I never solved the problem. You know, the, the, the way I solved the problem was I only played one string because one string is always in tune with itself. And uh, so I just played the low E string. And I remember I played the low E string for about two years and eventually I broke it. And I didn't know, you know, there was a music store. So I walked to the music store and, and I, uh, for some reason I thought that I would have to measure to see how long the string was because I didn't want to buy a string that was too short. And uh, and the guy at the, the, the store told me like, oh, they they make them like longer than they need to be, so it'll definitely be long enough for your guitar. And that was that was my first music store trip. On oh, my pick was a, the wing of a model airplane, the tail wing. <laughs> Super cool. Now forwarding um, a, a few years into um, your career, um, as, as soon as you appeared on on the map for. Um, guitarists, music fans, etc. I guess a lot of companies were chasing you and wanted to have you, you know, at the forefront of their artist roster. How did the Ibanez collaboration came about? Well, I knew about Ibanez because my uncle had an Ibanez guitar. He, he had an Ibanez Destroyer, one of the, the 70s ones. And that was actually the first electric guitar I ever played. Uh, that, you know, I didn't know anybody that had one except my uncle. And then, and he had he had actually traded his Les Paul for that one. He liked the Ibanez better, and uh, and I I tried it out and I thought it was amazing. I, you know, it was so much easier to play than my acoustic, and of course it was electric, so you get some distortion, and so that was always like a legendary guitar to me. And then you know that was when I was like ten years old. So by the time I was twenty or, or twenty one, uh, you know I had formed Racer X, and, and we were starting to get some. Uh, you know, some good response, you know, we're starting to become very successful in Los Angeles and we had a couple, a couple records out. And uh, I think Ibanez had, had already endorsed Vinnie Moore, who was on Shrapnel Records. And and that was going well. Like they, 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 they liked Vinnie and, and they had a good uh, campaign with him and they made a cool guitar for him. And so, so they, they went to, uh, I think that they wanted to get like new upcoming artists instead of like uh endorsing people that had already had a long career they thought let's try to work with some people that are just starting out and so they went to the same record label shrapnel and they said who else who else is coming up and then and mike varney who was the record label uh, president recommended me so they they uh, contacted me at that time I actually was starting to get offers from other companies like uh, Gibson had offered me uh, to, to work with me and 
you know, I mean, that's a famous company, so I was very excited. But but also found that the like Gibson wouldn't change anything. You know, it'd, it'd just be like, oh, we we make we make SGs and Les Pauls, that's it. And we, you know, I wanted a guitar that this is the '80s, so I wanted a guitar that was pink and had a whammy bar and big tall frets. And then, oh, we can't do that. And then uh, there was also Hamer had had come to me, and I thought that Hamer was kind of cool because they did some really cool stuff for for Rick Nielsen at uh, Cheap Trick. But they were like a smaller company, and Ibanez was a, a big company. But somehow they they were flexible enough where if I had a crazy idea, they would take it seriously, and they said, "Oh, pink, okay, we can we can make something pink," and you know. You know, you've got this weird, you know, certain kind of whammy bar you like. Okay, we'll put that on, and and they would really, they, they would make like a totally new design, if I, if I thought of it, and uh, that was really exciting. You know, to have not only to work with a great guitar company, but to have them like be my custom designer was incredible. So I, I decided I thought I'm going to go with them. I like the people too, because the people were easy to talk to and they were musicians too and it was just a, a nice group of people and uh, so they made my first guitar which was you know all these ideas I had and it, it turned out really good and then I started doing some clinics for them and I would bring my guitar and they, and they said well can you also like at the clinic maybe play one song with just a stock guitar that's at the store uh, just to show people that the, 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 the stock Guitar is good too, and I'm not sure. So I, I started playing the, the RG had just come out, and I, so I'd always play an RG for one song, and I started to like the the stock RG at the store better than my custom one, you know, because I, you know I designed mine. I'm not wasn't necessarily the greatest guitar designer. Where Ivan has had a lot of experience with that, so. Um, I finally said, you know, can you guys send me a, a stock RG? And they did, and I ended up using that for most of the first Mr. Big album. And uh, and after that, I, I started to make, or to request, like sort of customized versions of the RG. And, and the, the first one had the F-holes on it, because I wanted to kind of differentiate myself from, uh, especially from Steve I, because Steve was having a lot of success with the gem. And the gem was you know, really similar to an RG, just had some extra, uh, you know, the, the the monkey grip thing or the you know different paint jobs and uh and I, I loved the way the guitar felt and the way it sounded but i wanted it to have something that that was more recognizable as, as mine and so i had the ideas for the f-holes and i, I like the f-holes because f-holes usually make you think of jazz or classical you know classical has violins or cellos that have f-holes or you know jazz has hollow body guitars and the the rg was kind of like a metal version of a strap and I thought I want to make it less metal and more just like all around music. Like you could, you know, make it look like you can play anything on this. If you want to play a classical piece, you want to play some jazz, you know, it's still pointy, so you can play metal. You know, just make it look more like this is a guitar that can do anything. And uh, and it was a very simple change. You know, just something, just a quick paint job. But although the the, the one thing that, that to me is really important about the function of it was I I was able to move the volume knob. And just the, the way I hold my hand when I pick, my you know my little fingers stick out, and and they'll bump against the volume knob if it's in the typical place, you know, like on a Strat or an RG. So and instead of having it there, it was moved to the, the far end of the F hole. So I've got a lot of room for playing, and I don't bump into anything. So that worked out really well for me.
so after the PGM model, you also came up with other designs. I think the one of the most iconic uh, PGM models was uh, the violin-shaped one. Oh, yeah. Well, at the, at the time, uh, Mr. Big had gotten really big in Japan. And so there were a bunch of PGM models that only came out in Japan. Like, I think the... Um, in, in, in America, the, the PGM 100 and maybe the PGM 300 were still available. But in Japan, there was like there was a green one and a red one and a natural you know, ash one. And then the, the different body styles as well. There was the, the violin shaped one because I've been a Beatles fan. So I was, was wanted um, kind of a Paul McCartney-ish violin shaped one. And I always loved the Iceman, which is you know, from Paul Stanley from Kiss playing one. And so I put F-holes on that and uh, just... You know, there was always there was always a great market for those in, in Japan. So I, I was I was going to say I was amazed that it happened, but it, I was amazed at everything. You know, just the, the success that we had in Japan at that time was was really it was wonderful, but also surprising, and it felt totally out of my control. Ultimately, like fast forwarding uh, another few years, you came up with another unique design that uh, was actually also designed by you and then uh, built by Hoshino. The fireman. Could you yeah. elaborate a little bit on how that came together, and also about like the naming yeah. and everything? Yeah. Well, the uh, when when 1999 changed to 2000, I had a a, a really big gig at the Tokyo Dome, like 50,000 people. And it wasn't my gig. It was it was like a bunch of uh, television idols from Japan, and I was in the backup band. But I wanted to do something special, so I asked the Ibanez Custom Shop to make me a guitar in the shape of the number 2000. So the body was a 2000 and had a neck sticking out of it. And it was also a light show guitar. So it had like a battery pack that I wore on my belt and the, and the lights would flash on and off. And it was a pretty amazing instrument. It sounded great. And I used that for the, the, the Tokyo Dome. And then uh, that was over. And then I, I, I called up, uh, I, I had another idea for a guitar. I can't even remember what I, what I was thinking of, but I had an idea for something. And so I, I, I called up uh, the LA Custom Shop, and my, my friend there said, like, wait, wait, could you please just make it like a normal body? Like something we already make. Like, no more 2000s. You know, they, I guess that guitar was, like, really difficult to make. And and I, I can't even remember what it was I wanted to make, but when he when he gave me, like, that kind of limitation, that was very rare. Usually I've been as, like, you know, just anything you want. But I, I think they were like, oh, we just need a break. <laughs> so... And uh, of course, by that time, like the, you know, the internet was popular, so there was there was a website. So I went, went on the Ibanez website. I'm like, hmm, let's see which which body style is my favorite. And I thought I always liked the Iceman, but somehow I, I wanted I wanted to do something a little bit rebellious. So I thought I wonder what would happen if I flipped it upside down. And uh, of course, the first thing that happens is that you, you don't have a lower cutaway then. So I, I you know, I'd become I could use Photoshop a little bit, so I could just kind of erase. From the picture and, and make a cutaway, and then uh, at at the time I'd, I had been I'd, I had just moved into a new uh, place to live, and I, I had bought a bunch of cherry wood furniture, and I really liked the furniture. I thought, I wonder if I could make a cherry wood guitar, and uh, and actually a, a bunch of the details I wasn't really that specific about. I just said like, well, I want a big like a chunky neck. Um, you know, I, I've always, always been a big Pat Travers fan, and Pat Travers used to play a Gibson Melody Maker, which has you know, sort of a baseball bat, you know, big chunky neck. And I said, you know, something like that. But I, I never even brought the guitar in for them to look at it. I just said, you know, 
old, you know, vintage style chunky neck. And they, and they just sort of took my, my uh, approximate explanation and made the first fireman. And it was great. And it, uh, I just immediately fell in love with the, with the, the way it sounded, the way it felt. And, and, and so as I started designing more of them, then, then I designed the second one, but I designed the pick guard. And, uh, I was just, I was kind of always amazed that they, they made it because I knew it was an unusual guitar. And I didn't, you know, people that, that are fans of Ibanez are usually more like the metal people. And this it didn't look like a metal guitar. It looked like a, almost like an unusual, like, like when, when, um, J J Japanese and Italian companies used to make guitars in the sixties. And I mean, I love those designs. I love sixties designs, but you know, it's very different than what somebody who's like a Metallica fan would want to play, but I love it. And so I've been, as you know, they kept saying yes. So they kept making my designs into a reality. And, uh, fortunately they, they would also in, in improve a lot of the details that I wouldn't know because I'm not, I'm not a professional guitar, guitar designer. So they would do things like put a contour in back. So it's just so it's comfortable. I wouldn't have thought of that. You know? And uh, they, they put a contour on the back of the lower horn. So it's a little easier to, to get your hand in there. Just all little details like that. So when I actually got it, it's like, oh, I didn't design that, but I'm glad they did that because that's better. And uh, of course, so over the years, there, we've had different, you know, slightly different pickup configurations. The, the, that was one thing was the, the the slanted pickups. That was an idea that came from from Frank Marino, who's one of my other guitar heroes from the '70s. And I, I saw him playing a um, an SG, and he had uh, the, the the bridge pickup angled like Jimi Hendrix. Uh, Jimi Hendrix, you know, played a strap, but he played it upside down, so the angle was like the opposite way, because you know he's left-handed guy playing right-handed. And Frank Marino is right-handed, but he angled it like it would be left-handed. So it's sort of the backwards than it usually is. And I, I and he sounded so good that I thought, well, I want to try that on my guitar too. And you know, I was doing it on Photoshop, and I did one. And I thought, well, the other ones would look cool if they did that too. So and it turned out to sound really good. So I think I think one of the things that I like about it is that it 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 in a lot of ways everything about the guitar is a little bit different than anything. Like. You know, you don't you don't find guitars where, where the pickups are angled that way, and and the um, you know the, the volume control, the position of it's reversed, which I love because I, I, I can if I have my arm in the air, the first thing that, that my hand comes to is the volume, which is the most important knob. And those, uh, of course, the, the the way the upper horn feels is, is to me is really comfortable. So it's it's just uh, you know it's 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 not anything like a Strat, it's not anything like a Les Paul, it's really, it's its own unique thing. So if you're, to me, if you're a guitar collector, you've got to have one of these because it's really like a unique animal. Mm -hmm. And if uh, one looks closely, um, you had like quite recently a few mods on your guitars and uh, I'm talking about like the slide magnet. Oh yeah. On there. Was there just a necessity to, to put the slide somewhere or was that the idea that you had while like, well, I started playing more slide and I had one on a, a couple albums ago, I, I had one song that was all slide, and uh, you know you have to you have to get it and you have to put it back because I'm not playing slide the whole night, and so you know I mean I'm not the only guitar player that's had this problem. So you know the, people make things like that. There's a little thing you put on your mic stand that holds a slide, and you, know, you can go up and put it there and put it back. But it's it's still kind of 
too slow to do it while you're playing the song. You know, it, it, it takes like, you know, oh, do it, do it. You know, it takes about four seconds. Four seconds is a long time, you know, if you're, if, you, if you're the only guitar player and you have to keep things rolling along. And uh, so I, you know, I, I can't remember the exact moment, but I just had the idea, well, if I get a chrome slide, you know, maybe if I put a magnet here just to hold it in place. And so I, uh, I've got a guitar repair shop I go to in, in Portland where I live, and I just went there and I said, I've got this, you know, my, my repair guy there. So I've got this idea to put a magnet to hold a slide in place. You know, can, do you think you can do that? And uh, he said yes, and we tried it. And you know, it, 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 it takes getting used to because, you, you know, you can get it so fast now that you have to have good aim. You because know, you're playing, you know, you can really get it quick, but you have to make sure that you, you know, you get used to where it is. And, and, and so now I do it all the time. So it's just second nature. I can get it so fast and put it back as well. And we experimented with, with like different shapes of magnets, different strengths of magnets, whether to put it like under the pick guard or whether to have, if there's no pick guard, you know, just glue it into the wood. Or, you know, so we've had a lot of different ways of doing it, but, uh, you know, the, but I, to, to me, like, it, it's it's really become an important part of my style. So that's, you know, I've had them modified probably 10 guitars now with, with the slide magnets at, at home. I watched a couple of the workshops lately and uh, your playing is very, like, busy because you, you go back and forth between, like, playing single note licks and going back with the slides. So how has your playing evolved uh, since since incorporating the slide more and more into your, into your overall, like, musicality? Well, it's it's a really different voice because it, it well, first of all, it has so much sustain, and uh, and just the vibratos is so beautiful. And it, it um, I, I think the the first time that I that I really thought this was working is I I had done uh, I, I was auditioning some drummers in in Portland, and so I would jam with them and I would record the jam session and I'd go home and listen to it, and you know I was just just doing some jamming some solos and, and I would play my normal way. And then halfway through, I'd play the slide. And I, while I was listening to it, I, I kind of wasn't paying attention. You know, I was answering emails or something and just had it on. And all of a sudden the slide started and I, I stopped and went like, who's that slide play? Like, it sounded like a, like a, like a new guitar player had just started. And, and I liked, I liked that new guitar player. They, like, they, they sounded good, <laughs> but of course it was me. And so it was amazing to have a really different voice. And I, I think, you know, guitar players try to do that like with pedals. Like, well, maybe if I play a wah-wah pedal, that will give me a different voice. Or maybe if I step on a, a, a phase shifter, that'll give me a different voice. And you know, it works a little bit, but the, the slide is, is, is like, to me, a much more, a much bigger shift. You know, it's, it's really, it's much, much more different. And, uh, you know, it's not like the same voice with a little accent. It's like really a different voice. And uh, it, I'm still learning and, and improving on it. But, uh, you know, I, I play it in half the songs every night. So it's really becoming comfortable. And it's uh, it's amazing to me because I, I was bad at slide for so long. And that might be the best part of the slide magnet is the fact that it's always there. So you can practice with it a little bit every day. And, you know, then you start to get good at it where, you know, if it's in a drawer or you know, then you might think about it as like, oh, I got to stand up and look for that thing. And, you know, 
you end up never practicing it. So it's just nice to have like quick access. No excuse. Yeah. Yeah. Now, going full circle um, to your early beginnings and the guitar heroes you admired at that time, just recently a couple pictures showed uh, Paul Stanley playing the fireman. Oh, yeah. How does it make you feel? Well, it was, it was funny because the, uh, the Ibanez Custom Shop called me and, and said, like, uh, Paul Stanley wants us to make him a fireman. Is it okay with you? And I'm like, I can't believe you're asking because, like, basically I stole the fireman from him. You know, because it's just a, a nice man upside down. Of course, he can, you know, it, it's his, you know, he's just taking his idea that I took back, you know. And, uh, but to me, that was like the, the highest honor. I'm a, you know, huge Kiss fan. And uh, I really admire Paul Stanley, both as a musician, you know, guitar player, singer, and, and a person. You know, I read his autobiography. And I just really, really think he's a, a, a cool and smart person with a good soul. And so, uh, you know, to see him playing something that's, you know, that I had a part in was really wonderful. Well, very well deserved. Thank you very much for the interview, Paul. Oh, thank you, you. All the best. And uh, is there any, any new projects coming up, and like gear-wise or music-wise, in the next couple of months that you want oh, like so to... Well, I'm on tour right now in, in Europe, so we're finishing this up. And then uh, I've got a tour in, uh, in Japan and Asia in December. And I always have my online school at Artistworks. Uh, that's, that's, you know, every day of the year I'm, I'm teaching there, which is, which is wonderful. It's, it's, uh, it, it's very inspiring me to, to communicate with my students and, and try to solve their, whatever they're working on to help them be able to, you know, play more easily. And that's, that's one of my biggest jobs is, is I, I, want, I want guitar playing to be easier. Even, you know, people like to work on hard, difficult things but in order to make it work, you have to make it easier. And I, I, I think I've got good ways to help people do that. And probably next year I'll do another record, but it, um, I, don't, I haven't really planned out exactly when. I probably should. Thank you for reminding me. <laughs> well, well, yeah, uh, the Artist Works um, music school that Paul Gilbert has is highly recommended. I think you've done more than 1,000 videos already. I've done almost 8,000. Oh, 8,000. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's about 1,000 a, a year. <laughs> so it, it's keeping you busy aside from being on tour and uh, writing music. So yeah, it's it's an amazing. I mean, all, all those videos are on archive there too. If you you know you can, there's a search feature, so you can type in you know alternate picking, and 500 videos will come up. Yeah. Wow, there's a lifetime of guitar playing in there. Yeah, yeah. So folks, check it out. And again, thank you very much, Paul. And uh, yeah, all the best, and hope to see you very soon. Right on. Thank you.